Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is November 18th. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, I'm doing great. It's uh it's it's wonderful to see Texas fighting back, trying to take uh take the crown from Georgia, who's really owned the fall uh at the RSM. They're they're dancing in Georgia territory, dancing all over the top of the leaderboard between Cole Hammer, Bo Hostler. As we record here early, early on uh, Thursday, two thirty Eastern, I think Cole Hammer just hit it into the hazard, so he's nine under at the moment. Uh, Hammer, of course, I, not a PGA Tour member, might upset the likes of the. You know, the FedEx Cup thirst buckets that play these fall series if he swoops in and just immediately wins. But uh, he is nine under. As far as I can tell, he was a sponsor's exemption on Sunday. Uh, that was when it was announced. Now, he wasn't in the initial, like, inside the field list published on PGAtour.com. Probably always maybe was designated for a sponsor's exemption. There's been a lot of movement in the field at this RSM, including an open spot, thanks to an Anders Albertson WD. Apparently, there wasn't an alternate on site. I, I just don't understand how that works in a place where this just overflowing with PGA Tour golfers or, or general region, southeastern United States. But Surprise, Cole Hammer... Davis Love. Is Davis Love playing this week? Or yes, he, he WD'd he? before. <laughs> oh. He WD'd <laughs> also Thursday morning little with boy a wrist Drew issue. come in? What do you think... This is a real question. Do you think Hudson Swafford is home this week? Or did he like run the hell out of Dodge? Get the hell out of Dodge. I think he's out of there. Is he in Jeddah or somewhere else? <laughs> the Bangkok? Just not nowhere near, uh, you know, living, uh, you know, with everybody in town, the tour guys could, in town. Could have just really liked the uh, the TPC Inatech parking lot, a parking a driveway <laughs> where he was waiting to, to get into the field. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's but, just a fun tidbit. Now, whenever I think Hudson Swafford, I, I think just, about that. Him just waiting in a car with uh, who was the other guy that he was waiting? Uh, Talor. Talor, yeah. Talor and him sitting in a car together. Who knows what they were talking about? Maybe free idea you know. for that uh, Sam Harrop guy. You know, the, does the piano? Would just say waiting in Memphis instead of walking in Memphis. There you go. Write that one up and tweet it out. You get a little <laughs> engagement. That Sam, you know, when you dub your own little golf lyrics. Can be Talor and Hudson Swaffer just sitting in a car down the street from TPC Inatech. Anyways, he maybe he's in town, maybe he's around the Golden Isles this week. But uh, Cole Hammer is your leader. I don't know if this is proof positive or indicative of elite college golfers, recent amateurs being able to immediately transition to the pros. He may shoot eighty the next three days. I don't know, but uh, it does. It is sort of a quick buttress to the recent news that PGA Tour University is handing out a PGA Tour card. Uh, still that absurd. We talked about like have to be a senior, kind of the opposite of, of a lot of other sports where you're, you're I, I don't know that they're telling kids to leave school to leave school, but there's no kind of impediment to doing so or less of one. This, this 
But th- this is a new improvement on Hold access on. for the best young talent. If you're one of the all-time underclassmen, truly extraordinary. Three in the last decade would have done it. I, th- I think it was Patrick Rogers. Oh, that's the points. Yes. And it one was... other, one other, maybe Cantlay. I'm not sure. Yes, I think There's... you're right. Cantlay. Well, that was inside info I had based on the points that they have not yet announced. Some nebulous point system based I think they on announced medals. It this week. Oh, they did? Okay. All so right. if you're one of those three, one of the, like iconic college player <laughs> in your first two years, you could you could potentially get a spot, but it's going to be like a once every 10 years. And, you know, so anyways, yeah, for the most part, you have to be a senior. Yeah. So that's, that's, I don't know if hammer is necessarily an immediate proof positive that that's a good idea, but it certainly doesn't hurt it. Right. Uh, he's played well through 17. Ha- holes Hammer's so been an 16. interesting amateur because he's, yes. he's kind of had some ebbs and flows. He, I mean, he was unbelievable young. I mean, he's 19. Then he had a couple down years and and then he came back and started playing really good golf again. Um, I remember and, uh, like dude, seems like a good kid. Seems like a great kid. I just remember, you know, being my dark, cold heart, being so annoyed by him at Chambers Bay. Remember he made the field USGA qualify. He was probably like, what was he, 14 or something at the point? It's like this kid's just like thirsting for speed autograph. He was just like really but but it was like he was an interesting story. And obviously he's a really good kid, good player. No, I just but he has been I mean, he played in a major seven years ago now. Twenty fifteen. Alleg- allegedly he's a golf architecture nut. So. Really? He seems yeah. like a great dude. Good kid. Uh, but yeah, he's nine under through 16. I don't have a lot else on the RSM Classic. I enjoyed Davis Love the Third. Um, I don't know, there was an article. Yes, about, I was going to bring this up on PGATour.com. No, go ahead. Sorry. What does it uh, say? I have it on, I think story, it was Golf Channel. The lead, the lead story on PGATour.com is about Zach Johnson and how he's leaning hard on Davis Love the Third for advice as a as the Ryder Cup captain. Okay. Really? <laughs> like he's been an assistant for like a decade. And to be completely honest, what what are we talking about leaning hard on? Like leaning hard on like figuring out what food to get at night? Leaning hard on figuring out what, what like to a certain extent like what are we what are why are we talking about this? It's November, and why are we talking about how what Zach Johnson is getting from Davis Love? It is a little odd. Like, how much advice is there? The captains will say there are. There's a lot to give and learn and, and understand and glean. Um, I think we give we give a fair amount of guff to DL three. I would say he is a. Probably a useful source in this instance relative to, I don't know who else, Tom Watson, Jim Furyk, other recent captains. Um, He's done several of them now between multiple Ryder Cups, recent President's Cup, assistant like all the time. He is probably on the American side, the first person I'd go to at this point. You wouldn't go to Zinger first. Well... (laughs) Zinner with the, I got my red light guys and my green light guys, yellow light, and my, <laughs> put them all together and we figure that out. Then the, the third, the three, they pick their fourth guy, their pod. See, um, get that this story. is why I think they should just appoint a random, random person 
to pres uh, to Ryder Cup captain one year. Why are we talking about the Ryder Cup? Like I just, who? Like a I don't know. Just like anybody, or? anybody, and be like, you know, is this actually a hard task, or is this just somebody that's played professional golf for a living having to do like some mundane tasks? that they aren't used to doing. Cause I think it's more of the latter. I think it's like legitimately like, Hey, these guys, their, their lives been like sitting on a driving range, hitting golf balls for a living. And now they're actually having to do some like clerical bullshit that everybody in the working world understands and lives through and had like, like drilled into them at age 22. And it's so just like that these guys have never had to do it. So they think it's like actually work. Should have like Jimbo Fisher do it or, or Freddie Kitchen, some like football yeah. coach that can just <laughs> send them out there. Um, yeah, so that's DL3, I guess, Ryder Cup segment. Another one, they're very anxious. DL3 is very anxious about what's going to happen to the RSM Classic with the fall obviously not being worth oh. FedEx Cup points anymore. He says they have their dates set for 23 and think it's 24. Um, you know, I've been on the policy tour five times. I know it works. I'm optimistic this is all going to work out. Uh, but he's, he's his thumb on the scale again. You can see it. But it's not going to have FedEx Cup points. I found this Mackenzie Hughes comment just to be really like revealing maybe in the way he didn't want it to be. He goes, I won't. It won't be what it is now. If I play next fall, this is a Rex Hoggard article on golfchannel.com. If I play next fall, I won't be playing for FedEx Cup points. I'll just be playing for cash. Mackenzie Hughes, a two-time winner in the fall who earned more than half his career earnings in the autumn window, half of his $6.1 million in the autumn window. Quote, it's kind of odd because I've always played the fall thinking I want to get my card locked up in the fall. This mentality <laughs> is the doubt is like what ex- Liv was able to exploit. I've always played in the fall thinking I want to get my card in the fall with all these little points and these sort of watered down middling fields. It is going to change a lot, and it's unfortunate because it's going to take away from some great events that have been around a long time and have meant a lot to the tour. That's debatable. You know, some some have been around a long time. Some mean may mean a lot, but I wouldn't say on on the whole, the fall slate is full of those kinds of events. I understand the changes they're trying to make. They're catering to the stars, and the stars are what drives the tour and makes them money. It's a new tour, I guess. That's you Mackenzie Hughes. Canadians are notorious snowbirds. Maybe we should call... Uh, Call yeah. Mackenzie Hughes like Mr. Snowbird, like the snowbird. I want to get my locked, my card locked up in the fall. <laughs> well, like, unbelievable. Did he? He finished. Did he finish second to Sung Jay in the Honda a few years ago? That sounds right. Um, he's won know, here. He's won the RSM. What won the RSM? This is all snowbird season. He's a snowbird season guy. Like he he plays well from from September till. Uh, March. Yeah. Yeah. He's won. Yeah. RSM and a Sanderson are his two, his two snowbird. wins on the tour. So, yeah. We got Mr. October, Pat Gazire, <laughs> and the Snowbird. The Snowbird. That's <laughs> when he cleans up. Uh, so that was, I think this is probably more RSM talk than I, I ever envisioned for this episode. Um, Let's move on. Do you I have got anything an else you want to get? Tip- Go I ahead. got an interesting tidbit. I got this from a friend. Spends a lot of time in the Naples area. This is the text I woke up to this morning. You're going to love this. I was trying to play at Tiburon today or tomorrow. I can play the black course. I had no clue the effing LPGA was going on. I can't use the practice facility, but the black course is still open. 
just can't park on site or warm up. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> How do you get want, there? You just I, I, park at a McDonald's I, down the street and walk in? Walk I've asked follow-ups, have not heard back. And he finished it off with, I wonder if fans will see me duck hooking it into the houses. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, the courses don't cross paths or I'd probably kill a fan. <laughs> Oh, Tim, you're on. I like. I don't. Do they need play on that other course? I guess it's a big time for snowbirds and like down there in Naples, looking for places to play. Thanksgiving on the horizon. Uh, maybe they're down there already, but, but yeah, it seems like they could shut it down for this week. I love the idea of him duck hooking into the houses as the women playing for two million, the largest purse of the year. Ding ding off the roofs and and just some other chop on the other course. So. That's good. Oh, we'll do unsubstantiated rumors. We're getting messages into the show. Let me throw it out there. I got a flurry, flurry of messages. Live centric, um, European unsubstantiated rumor mill. European, Friday. you know, tour PGA tour. It just it does sound like this is not unsubstantiated, but rumored a million different ways. Norman is done. Norman is going to be gone. Um, another amusing part I heard of this was that one team. People are hearing one team was being touted. One live team was being touted and shopped. I won't give the exact figure. I'll just say mid, mid six figures. <laughs> this is, these are from, do you think it was the Netflix? That, well, that's what I'm wondering. This is not from Joe Blow, from people who are probably uh, abreast of, of various rumors and situation. Mean, that can't be right. Mid six figures. And what is to stop? Like, what? what's the structure after that? Could you buy, if you're a billionaire, could you buy a team for, you know, the could price buy of, a, all of them? price of a condo and then just, like, offer guys, f- put the rest of the money towards, like, branding and offering, you know, whoever, Patrick Cantley, John Ron, all this money to come to your franchise? Like, what's the structure after this? We know Liv is sort of figuring it out on the fly here. But, like, could you just pay, like, you know, 500 grand for the sake of hypotheticals and then just invest, you know, a couple hundred million in salaries and all of a sudden the price, the value of that franchise has whatever. I just don't know what the structure is going forward. What's the plan here for Liv? And all of a sudden, you sign a deal with an equipment this company like, or a major this, brand. This, I I don't believe it this would rumor? be. I don't believe it. I I I just think it would be if they're paying two hundred million for players, they can't possibly be offering a franchise for four hundred k, four hundred k, or five hundred k, or six hundred k. Like it can't. That doesn't. I'm, I'm dubious. I don't. Of it. I. I. I think this is a false. This is why it's unsubstantiated. Rumor Mill right. Friday. All right. It came from somebody. I, worth I do it. have a follow up question for you. What? What's the least valuable? Um, live franchise. I gotta look it up. I mean, as it stands, um, I don't think it's the Niblix. I think the name's too good. The Niblix oh, name's too good. And the I thought Kleeks, they're getting rid think, of it. The Cleeks and the Niblix are too good of names. <laughs> what are, what I would, is it? I got I don't even remember all these names. I, I'm gonna throw my. I got it pulled up, just because like you know Phil's team, DJ's team, Brooks's team, Bryson's team, 
are not like a Cam Smith team are worth money. I right? think it's Ironheads. I it has to be. It has to be the Ironheads. Kevin Nah is just not a sexy captain. Right? This he was, can't He can't tw- possibly be a captain long term. Who's on I can't believe we're talking about this. Who's on Cleeks again? Is that Kyber? Kyber's team? Yeah, sure. Go out, Curdy. Didn't he move? Filled Did he in move? for Graham, Dick Bland, and Lori Cantor. Oh, they That's don't even have the team. rosters on here anymore. No, they, they shut it down. They're changing things. You know, there'll be a new website probably. So uh, well, we'll table this discussion. Target. We'll table this discussion. Target. So uh, I just found that. It's unsubstantiated rumor Friday. It's a pretty funny one. Uh, anything else on LPGA update? I don't know. It's early. Padre and Rano Karn is leading six under 66 at the Turbiron course. Uh, Seyun Kim also involved. Danielle Kane. So whoever on. wins this wins. Yes. And that's what some of the players, even the ones, I think I saw it was Carolyn Masson on Golf Channel being like, oh, I'm like 60th, but I don't even know if it's right. Like if I should win the season race in the two million. If I, I think this season. is awesome. This is a real playoff. Yeah, but it probably shouldn't be 60 then, right? Yeah, that's that's the thing. And that's what I've always said about the FedEx Cup. It's like, I think at like 30, maybe it's 20. I think really the number is like 20. That's where you, everybody there, you could make a case is like, this person deserves to be here. They've had a part of their year that was pretty sensational. 60 is probably a little bit big, but I do applaud. This is, I I, I feel like it should be covered more. Is like how awesome the fact is that like anybody can win this. Yeah. It's the easiest to understand too. That's what the FedEx Cup's trying to do with their staggered stars, make it easy to understand. Right. Like just just let roll the balls out, as they would say in, in basketball. <laughs> roll the ball out and play. And that's what they're doing here. Roll the CT machine down to the first tee, test the drivers, and go out and play. <laughs> um on the European tour, Tyrrell Hatton leads with Matt Fitzpatrick seven under. This could be a really fun event. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to like overhype it. I just think this could be really, really good come the next three days. You have Fitzpatrick has just jumped Rory for race to Dubai honors projected race to Dubai. Number one, uh, Rory's in the hunt. He's like 22nd, one under you've got, you know, Fitzy and Hatton, uh, Fleetwood I'm, again, I'm playing well. In- I'm Go zooming ahead. in at the four under group, and I see Yannick Paul, Callum Shinkwin, and the Kitty Cat, Kurt Kitayama lurking there, and that is what I I think could get really fun. Yannick Paul it reminds me. I see the Germany flag. I, it reminds me of Steven Yeager, just classic at RSM, classic four A guy. He's top five. This is like that September call ups when the both teams are last in the division. Like you know, it's like a Royals. I don't know. Royals Angels game in September when it's all the guys who've been called up and you've got RSM. Steven Yeager's time to shine. So that's what you're zooming in on, Yannick Paul. It's it's Rom's under par. Just could be a, an interesting um weekend there. We should get to Rom. All right. all right. Say we got like an obscure great player mixed with an obscure player duking it out on Sunday. Matchup matchup, like who would you want the obscure guy to be? And who would you want the big name player to be? Um, we're gonna get to this in Flashback Friday too. Something similar. 
Callum Shinkwin is pretty amusing to me. I, I think like Adrian Marunk, I think for the sake of the content, you know, the you have the six six pole right in the hunt. He's he's there. I probably want Marunk and like Hatton. Is Hatton name brand little enough? guy? Yeah. Big guy, yeah. little guy. Yeah. A little equanimity with, with Marunk and then yeah. I yeah. like that. I yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, potential. I was mentioning Rom. We should get to Rom. Look, I tried to articulate this on Tuesday, Wednesday's episode about how OWGR just, it's giving these guys like a political meatball to hit over the plate. People like Westy, people like Live Boys, just to get like Medicine worked Medicine Ball up. Monday. Why? <laughs> Medicine Ball Monday. Monday. Meatball Monday. Um <laughs> And, and Rom came out. You could just see it coming. Some of these died in the wolves Euros getting worked up about there being more points for the winner in RSM versus DP World Tour. And here's Rom. Um, oh, he also said, we need to stop giving live publicity. They're not asking for it. That's the first thing I'm going to say. So it's pretty pretty interesting that he's like, I don't know. He's just wants to live to go away, but he's also pretty benign in his stance. He's asked about the OWGR point. You could just see this coming. I think the OWGR right now is laughable. 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 The fact the RSM doesn't have any of the top 20 in the world has more points than this event where we have seven of the top 20 is laughable. That's four laughables. The fact that Wentworth had less points than Napa having players in the top 10 in the world is laughable. That's five laughables in one short three-sentence burst or one paragraph. Um, I'll just it's very nuanced. Is it, does it not look good on the face? Yes. But data golf had a good thread and they're the smarter people, smartest ones probably in the room on this in terms of analysis, as opposed to, I gotta be honest, Westy just trying to stir shit up. He's like, that's all he's trying to do. Hey, like, and also like Westy's, I, I mean, European tour fell apart. Like Westy, they carried it for a while. Right, but he kind of—they all started defecting to the where the money was, and that's the PGA Tour. Um, but he, now he's just trying to stir shit up and stand up and, and get these European Tour guys worked up, and it doesn't look good. Data Golf pointed out, though, like the top guys, it's more beneficial the Europe Tour guys at the bottom as you go down. Right? There's never going to be an OWGR that is perfectly fair, especially when field size differentiates. Right? You have. 156 players at Sea Island on two courses. DP World Tour has 50 guys in their championship, including Dick Bland, who's a hefty five over par next to DFL. Dick Bland, not not primed for for the cliques uh, on the deep Dubai Championship. But did so, he get traded? What? He got traded, I thought. I just opened the page. He said he was on cliques. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Um so yeah, RSM gets 39 points. DP World Tour winner gets 22. Uh, fairness, according to Data Golf, and you can read their thread, is not all about the winner's points. You have to look at the full distribution. Uh, it calls, you know, the issue is when there's different field sizes. Um, the point allocation is far more favorable at the RSM for top players, but more favorable at the DP World Tour Championship for the lower ranked guys. And like, if you're a European tour player, you might be happy about that. Right? If you're piss bear. Well, that's what I, yeah. Instead of the guys like Rory and Rom and Fitz who dive bomb in for these kind of events, 
who are going to be getting their OWGR points in bunches everywhere. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. But the fact good, that the leader gets more. It's a good day for more. Oliver Becker. And so Christian anyways, Lawrence. the fact that the RSM guy gets winner gets more than the DP guy, DP World Tour guy gets more, the, more than that winner was like an easy kind of political point to score. And we got it. And yeah. you got Rom worked up too. Speaking of DL3, I want to get one pop in. Speaking here. of DL3, 15 I minutes saw, ago. I, I can't, I, I apologize that I can't remember the show. I just saw a snippet of this on, on Twitter. I think I feel like it was like on a serious radio show. Um, DL three is talking about the world ranking drama and he goes, Hey man, I use, I used to play before the world rankings or whatever he said. He said something and he's yeah. like, you know, there's an easy solution. We could just go back to the money list. <laughs> Well, that wouldn't it's like go well no for... that's not a good solution yeah. that's like an extremely skewed but yeah the rankings are it's a very difficult subject right and i don't think there's like necessarily an easy fix but there needs to be the the new rankings i don't think are necessarily better yeah i i guess my whole point is it's just not a good time for them to have these meatballs out there yes. with the whole live sideshow going on. Like it would be fine in a more peaceful time 10 years ago when Europeans were just worked up, but it's going to raise sort of Sir carnival barkers shouting about the legitimacy of them. And you kind of got that. So anyways, point I was trying to make on Wednesday, maybe I didn't, uh, should we get to flashback Friday? Anything else you want to hit on in the world of golf before we move on to flashback Friday and SGS golf advice? Sure. No, oh. nothing else. Let's <laughs> go. Right. Let's go to Flashback. This is Flashback Friday by, is brought to you by you our going? friends at Precision Pro. Great friends. PrecisionProGolf.com is the URL. Um, not Precision Pro Tennis. Not Precision Pro Baseball. PrecisionProGolf.com. You can go there, get a range finder. This is the ideal Christmas gift. Ideal. I'm sure they have Black Friday deals. They've not communicated those to us yet. I'm sure they have them. If you go there in the next week or so. Also, if you use the promo code SHOTGUN20, you get $20 off your NX10. Um, it's, it's, it's got the kind of slope switch on top. It's like tactile. You can click it. Locks on nice and easy. I know we've had a lot of uh, field testing, at least amateur field testing amongst ourselves, where, you know, in other instances of shooting and it's hitting the trees that are 470 yards away as opposed to the flag that's, you know, 170 yards away. But a lot of field testing between the two of us. And it, what I like most about it is it just locks on quickly. The NX10, of course, as we've mentioned, you can personalize it. So maybe if you're thinking in the gift route, uh, over the next month and you know your family member is a misguided Ohio State fan for some reason or he's a Clemson fan whatever it may be you can also kind of flip on those nameplates add a little flair make it just not just another rangefinder gift but something that's a uh, you know a little unique to that to the recipient so go to precisionprogolf.com use the promo code and uh, use the promo code shotgun20 uh, for 20 bucks off the NX10. All right, this Flashback Friday is on an article that titled, titled in Sports Illustrated, The Next Seve. The Next Seve. As in Severiano Ballesteros, 
Who could that be, Andy? Who do you think has been has been a lot of next seves? I bet this one. Fidesz Casano. We're going with 2011 Dubai World Championship oh, winner. Oh, Kiros. Yes, he won this event. Not you know, it wasn't the DP World Tour Championship, but the Dubai World Championship in 2011. Pete Paul Paul Laurie by two strokes hit a 40 foot eagle uh, putt on 18 to close it out. Won this event, the Dubai World Champion. It was kind of the pinnacle of uh, Kyrus's career, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but he had won the Omega Dubai Desert Classic in February that same year. So kind of a, a Dubai cane in 2011. Really a sensation. I've you know We've talked about him at length, not at length, but several times on this podcast. I think I termed him, can't remember what I call it. I think I call him the Millennials Camp Champ. He's like what Camp Champ was maybe like seven, eight years ago, but you know, 10 years ago for us, it was like Kiros was this kind of, uh, you know, burst on the scene with a ton of buzz, had a cover of a Golf Digest magazine, all that stuff. So he was your 2011 Dubai World Championship winner, really the peak of his career. Uh, he won Dubai earlier with a round that included like a triple and then a hole in one is what how he won in Dubai in February. He made a triple and then got a hole in one and beat like Tiger, Sergio, Rory, uh, and I think like Anders Hansen. So, um, so one in Dubai twice in 2011. Let's get to the next Seve, which did not pan out well. Michael Bamberger wrote it for Sports Illustrated. Bamberger, I'm sure, is not re- responsible for the titles, right? They write the articles. He doesn't title them. Next Seve doesn't look good here. 12 years on. This was at the uh, what year was this? This was at Doral, so spring of. 2010. So he'd what? win in Dubai the next year twice, but uh, he's on the come in 2010, on the come up in 2010. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I just feel like Kiros and Sevi's like a really tough, like, comparison. totally. We do this like, very, we did it with Rob just because they're Spanish. Like, it's just like there's no similar. Like, it seems like their games were a lot different. Yes, but they just, they, they do this facile, like, comp default because they're Spanish. Um, it's oh, and I just gotta say, hang with me on this flashback because I get to like the distance panic. Some delightful quotes from Mr. Wally Uline from Akushnet about El Faro Quiros hitting at 375 yards. So that'll come in a minute. This is Bamberger, Alvaro Quiros of Spain, tall and lanky, 27 years old, four days of stubble on his long brown face, scorecard pencils for sideburns, white belt, white shoes with old school metal spikes. Parentheses. If your swing is clocked at 124 miles an hour, you'd have real nails in your shoes too. Sky blue striped shirt, navy blue slacks with one back pocket. The continental look lives. Alvaro Quiros, he does his pronunciation, is in the house, flashing his big toothy grin. He rolls up to the Doral range. Hello, feel, booch, bones. This is uh, Michael trying to write in his accent. Lawn nods from Mickelson, Harmon, and Jim Mackay. The caddy tells Kiros uh, the story about him being asleep at Whisper Rock. Uh, Kiros, a little bit more on Kiros. He grew up with his parents and kid brother in a house about the size of your ordinary suburban American living room. So two parents, two kids, two boys in the size of about a living room, American suburban living room, near the gates of Valderrama Golf Club on Costa del Sol. His father was and still is, this was, you know, 2010, a gardener and his mother a housekeeper. Look where golf has taken in Martin and Rosa Kiros' first-born son. 
to the leaderboard of the CA Championship, that was then what Durrell was called in Miami on a postcard Saturday, to a secluded corner of the cathedral, chatting up the trinity of Butch and Phil and Bones, to the epicenter of the game. Jim McClain, the golf instructor and Hogan file, approaches the range. He could watch Kiros make swings all day, even if the speed of his move wears out others. Quote, it's homemade. I like that. It's a big version of Sergio. Again, I don't know. Is that right? It's a big version. Are we just defaulting to the Spanish thing? It's homemade. No, I like I that. He's a he's like a big version of Sergio. They both have the Hogan lag. Okay, so he's adding a little substance just beyond the Spaniard. They they both have the Hogan lag. That's where the power comes from. You see the Seve influence all over Alvaro, the slashing swing, the outgoing personality. He's an artist. Maybe apprentice artist would be more accurate, Van Murder writes. If his pitching and chipping game were as big as his personality and his driving game, you'd already be on a first-name basis with them. He'd be a lot the ball and then some. So again, sort of in the champ mold, right? If his pitching and chipping game were anywhere near his personality and his driving, you know, he'd be a, a, a top-of-the-world star. Now, keep in mind, you know, he's compa- compared to Seve. A lot the ball, Sergio. Yes, I know. But he had no pitching and chipping. He has no pitching and chipping game. Which, and and, like Sergio is another example. Sergio's short game, like his pitching and chipping, has been extraordinary for his entire career. Right. The Ryder Cup was played at Valderrama in 97, the first time in continental Europe, a move engineered by Ballesteros for the team he captained. Yen Alvaro won a free ticket by winning the boys' title at the public course La Canada where his father taught him the game. Seve mesmerized him, even if he was simply driving a golf cart. For that Ryder Cup, the main impulses in Alvaro's life were to play soccer and golf, in that order. The European win changed everything. That's that Valderrama, the Ryder Cup win. After 97, he reversed the order, became golf first, soccer close second. When he returns to Cadiz, I might be mispronouncing that, in the south of Spain, to the apartment he rents there with his girlfriend, he spends weekend afternoons playing pickup soccer games. Kiros is one of those rare souls, like Seve driving a golf cart or Meryl Streep doing her nails, who makes some ordinary act look entertaining. This is some some vintage Bamberger stuff here. Kiros is slow over the ball, but you'd pay to watch this guy throw grass and point his lawn arms into the wind, his face all contorted in confusion, trying to figure out the wind direction. Watch him eat an apple. On the long par five at the rail, he took several man-sized bites of a Granny Smith, put the apple on his towel, played a second, and returned to the apple. Now nibbling away until the core was about the size of a golf tee. This is on the ground detail. Quote, I don't waste, he would say later. That's how we grew up. Again, getting to his sort of humble roots at the gate of Valderrama in a small house. He finished school at 18, turned pro in 04 at age 21, won professional events, Small and not so small in 06, 07, 08, and 09 in Spain, South Africa, and Qatar. He plays around the world and came to Doral ranked 33rd. He was 33rd in the world, 2010, with the goal of making Colin Montgomery's European Ryder Cup team come September. Uh, his caddy, uh, Alistair McLean, was Monty's old caddy. So they had an amazing back and forth, like in his Scottish accent and, and Kyros's Spanish accent. Uh his example of like the, these witticisms, Monty's pearls of wit, wit that he's passed on, uh, is caddy Alistair McLean said, when playing out of the woods, never hit the first tree. This has particular application to Kiros because he spends a lot of time in the shade. He will sometimes say in his sing-song English, the driver, she is not behaving well today, you know. The caddy and his man have a good time together. On the eighth hole, 
Last Saturday, Kiros drove it a mile into the right rough, 200 yards from the green, behind a tree. It's a perfect six, the Scottish caddy said. He laughed. Yes, yes, six iron perfect. But Kiros was laughing too. Why? Because there was no six iron in the bag. Not because Cortorell has no six iron shots, but the shaft on his six iron had broken and they could not find a replacement because he plays triple X stiff rifle steel shaft, a 7.7 shaft flex, if that means anything to you. It's a sequoia of a shaft played by almost nobody and not even carried in the tour equipment vans. Kiro slashed to the seven iron instead. He's not a player with many swing speeds. This was, again, 2010 spring. Repeating words is a part of his charm, along with hitting driver. He had just 10 or 11 drivers around. It shots about four or five goes at each airborne uh, shot. Go, 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 go. Um, on Saturday, one of his tee shots in a hook win measured 394 yards in McLean's yardage book. Oh, this guy is going to be huge. On Sunday, this predominantly Spanish-speaking gallery followed Camilo, but uh, Kiros kind of dazzled him. He went out in 33, responding to his tee shots as if they were watching fireworks. Um, with every drive and every step and every go and every gracias, Kiros was making fans. This year, he'll most likely play all four majors and the Ryder Cup. He did not play the Ryder Cup. <laughs> he did not play the Ryder Cup, which I, I've read up a lot on that. He basically like took himself out of the running by September 1st, he's like, I cannot play. I put too much pressure on myself. I was not good enough. And there was a ton of guys available for Monty, like uh, Harrington, Donald, Casey, a bunch of like stalwarts available for captain's pick. And he, he had no chance, even though he was, you know, top 25 in the world at one point. I try to remember how good I have it, Kiro said at Doral. Sometimes I forget, but then I remember there are so many people behind me. He meant that broadly. People in dark coal mines, people gardening in the hot sun, people shooting scores higher than his. 68 players teed up at Durrell, only five finished in front of him. Next month, he's in line to play a course in Augusta that will be a... This is... How about this from Bamberger? Next month, he's in line to play a course in Augusta that will be a par 68 for him and very few others. The Bryson oh, line. Oh, Bryson. The Bryson line. Par 68 for him. Come April, Seve will be watching Alvaro. You can be sure of that. So again, Ryder Cup, I had a bunch of that. He goes, I, he was despondent. He's like, I just, I, I taking myself out of the running. I'm just, I don't even want to be picked. I think Harrington Rose, Donald Casey, but as of February and March, they're like, he's on the Ryder Cup team. He's going to be on it. And this was before he won Dubai twice the following year. Uh, he also, I should note, he made his big splash in the U.S. at the 2009 uh, PGA at Hazeltine. Uh-huh. Great. He hit into Tiger on a 606-yard 11th hole, was putting out on Friday, and Woods called the shot, quote, absolutely phenomenal. This was before Y.E. Yang, you know. Friday, he hit into him on 606-yard 11th that's hole. the reason Tiger didn't win. That Everybody talks about the ghost of Y.E. Yang. Maybe it was curious. <laughs> he hit into him. So just to follow up after this Dubai 2011 win, he, so he won a Spanish Open. He won twice in Dubai. Um and he got to a career high of 21 in the official world golf ranking uh, after 2011. 21 in the world. Since 2011, his best performances, this is from Wikipedia, well-known source, have been third place at the 2014 Volvo China Open and tied for fourth in the Omega Dubai Desert Classic 2016. He won in 2017 the Rocco Forte Open in Sicily. He had a five-shot lead and won that. However, he then dropped six strokes in the last 10 holes to tie with Xander Lombard and lost in a playoff. Or, I'm sorry, he beat Lombard in a playoff. So he won that event in Sicily. 
he had started that event with a world ranking of 703. So not like a super distinguished career since this 2011 peak. But again, he was a total sensation. Listen, he's got Bamberger writing like this long profile about him. So on the cover of Golf Digest, big deal. So part of this was obviously the distance. And I looked for the Golf Digest cover story. I could not find it, but I did find an equipment article, which uh, centered around Kiros. And, and this was March 26, 2009. So before he had gotten to like 21 in the world, 33 in the world at these Doral and, and really arrived in, in doing more damage on the US scene. What happened to Wilco Knee Neighbor? That's a good question. Yeah, James Hart Dupree's yeah, Knee Neighbor still around. Still I haven't around. heard from Knee Neighbor in a while. This is a Mike Stakura Golf Digest article, 2009. While Alvaro Quiros' prodigious, prodigious drive suggests technology needs to be reeled in, the Spaniard has actually been the exception to the rule. Hmm. The unfortunate nature of journalism is that, very, that it very nearly requires elevating the most trivial of current events to near cataclysmic proportions. Oh, this would wow. explain, for example, CNBC or more precisely TMZ.com. So people were freaking out about Kiros and, and applying it broadly to the game of golf is what I read. Golf's latest version of the sense of onrushing apocalypse is Alvaro Kiros, the new driving distance king of the PGA Tour atop the field and driving distance averaged by 37 yards last week at the Transitions Championship and is averaging about six more yards up the tee than anybody playing golf on the planet right now. 312.3 on the PGA Tour, 314.2 on the European Tour and about 398 when he really lets out the shaft. He drove it 30 yards over the green at Doral's Blue Monster course that measures 376 yards, the uh, <coughs> second hole. They, Kiros's exploits have golf's familiar reactionaries decrying the game's out-of-control distance explosion and wondering if this is the evidence the ruling bodies need to implement their next technology rollback, presumably the golf ball. This is 09. To be sure, the, the USGA has indicated that its research on the golf ball distance, first announced in March 05, is ongoing. The thrust still, of that research involves studying balls that would be 15 to 25 yards shorter than current models. But the timeline for the project is long. No shit. According to USGA Senior Technical Director uh, Dick Rushi or Ruggie, quote, the ball project has not been backburnered, he said. We're doing a lot of testing Allegedly. with players. What? Last August, when the USGA announced the rule change for grooves will go into effect on the PGA Tour, others credited the statistical evidence from the PGA Tour shot link as very helpful in formulating this change. We've seen over the last five years that driving distance has remained stable, and we expect it to stay that way. Oh, what? Anything the but master stable. Masterminds. Anything but stable is Kiros's 224.5 mile per hour clubhead speed, which also leads to PGA Tour. He's one of 32 players on tour whose driver speed is more than 115 miles per hour this year. I looked it up last year. I think there was 92 that were more than 115. To further th put that in perspective, the average swing speed on tour is now a little over 111 miles per hour. I just want to give you a sense of like how fast this is. I mean, 12 years, yeah. long timeline, but you know. Apparently, this was the end of it, right? They maxed out at about 2009. That's two miles an hour faster than the speed the USGA previously used to test golf balls in the overall distance standard test, a speed meant to reflect what the fastest clubhead speeds on tour might be. That number was adjusted to 120 miles per hour in 2004. And here you have Kiros averaging 
124 and a half. Cru- cruising at 124 and a half. Of course, if you're given to speculation, those speeds might sound like so many hoofbeats of the apocalypse, but it's not that simple. After a 23-yard boost from 95 to 03, the tour to distance number has been relatively unchanged the last six seasons. Since 2003, it's been as high as 289.6 and as low as 286.3 in 03. It's actually dipped in each of the last two years. I mean, you got some poofers, right? Kind of like the the, the game hasn't caught up. Through 13 events this year, the number is 283.7. Slightly ahead of last year's pace, but let's dig a little deeper. Still, uh, uh, the tour has tracked longest drive since 92. Kyros' 180 mile per hour speed is bomb average. Um, I don't want to read, get too in the weeds on this. So... Um, there are questions if the PGA Tour's driving distance average is not budging. Is it fair to suggest that distance on the elite level is capped? If not, then how much is left out there? We went to those who seemingly would have the most to gain from statistical displays of technology's impact on golf to see what might, uh, what to make of the number, the equipment industry. Their opinions, curiously, were mixed. Most believe technology's role in the future is somewhat limited thanks to the rules. Specifically, Wally Uline, CEO and chairman of a Kushnet company, cited, oh, quote, Wally. cited, quote, the most activist 10-year period in the history of the golf ball and golf club regulation. So activist, they were being overregulated from 99 to 09, along with, quote, the S-curve of invention maturity as the primary causes for flatlining tour driving distance quote a very bold and rigid line in the sand has been effectively drawn by the game's regulatory bodies would you agree with that andy a very bold and rigid line as of 2009 had been drawn effectively in the sand by the game's regulatory bodies i don't think so the statistics since then speak for themselves the usga and rna have effectively fenced in the driver and golf ball so that there is little or no more distance to be had from equipment under the current rules and regulations. They've fenced it in. There's little or no more distance to be had under the current rules and regulations. You know, there may be like some shred of truth to that, but what then happened, like I think one of the things that happened was that then the companies focused so much on forgiveness. Yeah. And and what forgiveness did was just allowed higher speed, you know. Yep. There was no fear of of a miss. Um, but yeah, this this is unbelievable stuff. Quote: The facts are the facts, and any suggestion of dramatic facts yardage, facts. any suggestion of dramatic yardage spikes going forward is either disingenuous or propagandist. Take your pick. <laughs> um, and I'll just add, and then we'll get out of here. Benoit Vincent. Chief Technology Officer Is it Taylor Benoit May. or Benoit? Uh, could be either. I'll go with Benoit. <laughs> Sounds more amusing. Quote, we've seen the gains of the past 15 years because players could take advantage of the technology without having to compromise in terms of technique or dispersion. Because the tour players will have the place to have to place some weight on accuracy, much more than the average player will, they may choose to sacrifice some distance. Of course, that all changed. He thinks, quote, today's innovations and drivers provide more benefit to the average golfer than it does to the tour professional. <laughs> Of course, that whether that was conventional wisdom in 2009, it is not the case now. The player tour players aren't getting as much benefit because they aren't hitting it anywhere but the center of the oh, face. Yeah. So uh, that's your 09. Obviously, what Kiros had sparked this entire, you know, he's hitting at 376, 396. 
sparked a little bit of a the ball's going too far out cry. And here we are 13 years later. That's a lengthy flashback Friday, but a few different directions I wanted to go in with the, the, the legend of, of Kiros and, and ball talk. So, um, all right. Speaking of ball talk, we should talk oh, about our second, <laughs> our second sponsor for today. Meridian. And sponsor of SGS Golf Advice, which we've got a bunch of good questions. Meridian, the official below the belt trimmer of the shotgun start. We understand this is a taboo topic. It might be for us, but this is a top of the line cutting edge technology that doesn't cut, doesn't nick. This seems important. It's, it's, you can use it all over your body, shaver. They have the new Trimmer Plus. It features a charging stand, built-in adjustable guard, uh, USB-C lighting, guide light. It's got a flexible ceramic blade, adjustable blades. Uh, it's waterproof, adjustable guide combs, easy to clean, and it's cordless after you charge it. You get 90 minutes of charge. You can save when you bundle uh, by getting replacement blades, the trimmer for the trimmer, a trimmer plus. You get the Pro Trim Spray to prevent chafing or a travel case. You go to Meridian Grooming.com. Grooming. Grooming. MeridianGrooming.com. You can use the promo code Fried Egg and you get 10% off your purchase with the promo code Fried Egg. Let you be more hygienic, have less body odor, especially when you're hey. working out. Listen, this is this is life. This is more into the just the general life advice here. That's true. You know? That's if you, true. If you you know, take better care of yourself. Do That's it with MeridianGrooming.com. They've been uh, supporters of the podcast this year. Use the promo code um, Friday for ten percent off. I, I think this is a thing. Probably buy for yourself. Don't ask for a gift, right? Maybe your wife or somebody gets it for you. I, I don't know. But yeah, ask I don't, for you a gift. You probably don't want your wife. If, if your wife's getting it for you, it's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. Thanks to Viridian. All right, let's do SGS Golf Advice. Again, the email is sgsgolfadvice at gmail.com. We have a million emails. They're really good. Uh, we're going to go to most recent ones. Uh Tom, this is from Tom. I'll leave you anonymous. Tom in Champagne. So, uh, oh. Illinois boy. I go on an annual golf trip with 16 guys, five rounds of golf. This happened a few years ago. So, there are a few newcomers that were friends of friends. All right, new blood. Lots of gambling involved. Close as the pins, long drive skins, etc. One of the newcomers, we'll call him SP, had been whining and crying the entire trip that he hadn't won a single dollar in any of the gambling games. Tough break. This Play brings better. Us, yeah. Whining and crying. What a buzzkill. This brings us to the fifth round of the very last part three of the trip. My group is playing behind SPs. He hit a shot to eight. I hit a shot to eight feet. And judging by where the closest the pin flag was on the hole, it's going to be close. We get up to the green and whose name is on the closest the pin sheet? SP. And he's apparently stuck it to six feet, winning. Here's where it gets shady. As we were standing on the tee waiting for SP's group to finish and walk off the green, we noticed SP had a wedge and putter with him walking back to the cart. Hmm. You're telling me he stuck his tee shot to six feet, got out of the cart, grabbed a putter and his wedge. When you just flagged the tee shot, who does that? The answer is nobody. I'm convinced SP and his group colluded because they felt bad for SP and played the hole out. Let it, let, but let SP write his name on the closest of the pin sheet. Move the marker six feet and let SP finally win some of his money back. This is even more plausible because his foursome was all these newcomers, the guys that he knew, and three out of the four were the newcomers they regularly play together back home. So here's where he's asking us. Am I insane for thinking this? And should SP be allowed to come on next year's trip? Thoughts? That's good. This is a good good conundrum. 
This guy whining wanted... about not winning his gambling would make me hesitant to invite him ever again. Like you don't win, you don't win sometimes. Listen, like the hard thing is when a golf trip contracts. Like in all, like here's the thing. If you've been doing a golf trip for a while, life comes at you uh, and, and things are going to happen and sometimes you're going to contract, right? Yeah. This, is a, this is a problem that a lot of people face. <laughs> the issue, the hard thing is figuring out like, how do you add back in or are you better off allowing it to just naturally contract? And I think this is the, the root of the issue here. It seems like the newcomers were the problem. Yeah, it does seem it seems shady. I, I don't I think you kind of got to let him back. I, I know the wedge plus putter seems like pretty damning evidence, but I don't know that you've caught him red handed. I think you have kind of. Circumstantial, that, but, still, but the whining, uh, the whining the is as much. Of, <laughs> the whining is as much of a red flag than anything. I think you let him back and you monitor him very closely and know he's on secret probation. I also want to understand the trip, right? Like, you know, who's the organizers? Who's the core? Who brought him in? I think that maybe a conversation needs to be had with whoever recommended SP and be like, really, like. Can we talk about your boy here? Yeah. And like, you know, what's what's up with him? Why is he whining? Why is he crying? And, you know, like, if you just play better, it, it this is a shady thing. And I my question would be, like, are you better off going to 12? You know, it's probably easier logistically. Yeah. It's a little bit more intimate. What what? are you gaining by ex- keeping the group at 16? Are you playing some, maybe there's like a game or something that you're playing that you have to, like, I just assume switch it to, to, to 12 and not add the newcomers and risk the, the issues that you have with SP. Yeah. We get a lot of golf trip. We've gotten a lot of like buddies trip, like drama questions about what to do, which will, maybe we'll just make that a, a entire episode in, in the future. All right, next one. This is from Mitch. <laughs> and the email is, should this golfer go to prison? Question mark. <laughs> and it's potentially an applicable subject line. I read this one. This is, uh... <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> Our club's member guest is always a great time. Like most clubs, it comes with a hefty price tag, but you get pampered with an open bar, meals, and prizes. The club has a bar right off the 18th, halfway house, uh, and sets up additional drink stations on the course. All drinks are free with the hefty price tag. Sure. This year, we played against a member who lives on the course and started off round two with two six-pack, a two-hearted, Bell's two-hearted, and summer shandy. Four holes later, he got two more six-packs. Holy cow, he went through two (laughs) six-packs and four holes. How's he standing up? I made a comment like, damn, you guys are getting after it. But he informed me that he orders the beer, then takes them back to his house. He lives on the course. He continued to do this throughout the day, even having his wife drive their cart out to the course to grab the loot and take it back to the house. He told me every year he gets hundreds of beers. I saw him scoop up 36 beers in nine holes. It's a four-day event. So I'm guessing he ended up with 250 to 300 beers. I also want to mention he's built like a brick shit house. He claims to be a former national arm wrestling champ. His arm wrestling station in his basement. At one point during our round, he flipped his hat around backwards like Sly, Sly, Sly Stallone and over the top, I guess for extra power. So my question is, do I say anything, tell the club, call the police, and then enter witness protection? 
Forget it ever happened, or is he just getting his money's worth? Thanks in advance. He's not getting his money's worth. This is so over the line. So over the line. It's shameless. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, it is. This it's, is it's illegal. This is, I think this is stealing the issue, from the club. The issue Mitch has here is like, what do you do? And I think it's it's a great question. Like, right. listen, I don't want, like, I'm guessing Mitch is in his 30s, maybe 40s, like, like the last thing you want at that age is like confrontation and like the, uh, the potential to be like have this brick shit house like just you know unload on you. You know that's that's worst case scenario, right? I don't think you want to mess with the guy who has an arm wrestling station in his basement. Just general like yeah. wisdom, life wisdom. The guy has an arm wrestling station in his basement doesn't sound like somebody so, to to fire up. So, like, you get to the thing, like, you can't do anything, like, anything that's going to trace back to you. And that's, like, the the tr- crux of this. Like, you have to yeah. uh, it, examine your club staff. Here's the thing. If he's taking three to four hundred beers, I don't know, over, like, let's just say five bucks a beer. That's a lot of money. It's a ton of money. It's driving up the price for everybody else. Like it, that's so like gone. actually having like a, a big impact on the bottom line of this event. I think you and anonymously th- tell someone at the club and make it their problem. Have them confront the big boy. And I think you just need, it needs to be like, Hey, keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> like it's so over the line, the wife driving the cart out and just stocking up on beers. Shameless. Like, I mean, this you're talking about like this event might cost like 20 extra bucks per person because of this. <laughs> like legitimately. Right. Right. Like if there's a right. hundred people in the event, the guy right. is taking three to four beers per person. Right. Right. Uh, I think you say something to the club. Uh, maybe anonymously, anonymously, maybe a way that's not traceable back to you. But I think you should notify the club. Maybe the next time the member guest rolls around. I mean, like the other other thing is like, do you lead like a a, a shame campaign against him at the club? Because well, that's like, you know, that's the number one thing, right? Nobody wants to be shamed, and like this guy deserves to be shamed in a way. I know yeah. he's big and everything, but <laughs> like the other the other aspect of this is like it's like what uh, Jeff Ogilvy years ago on the pod after JB Holmes slow play. Thing on, on the fried egg, he said something about like how nobody plays slow on the Asian tour or or the J- Japan tour. I think it was the Japan tour because it's like it's like a shaming thing. Like right. you, like you don't want to be the guy in the locker room. And like seriously, like that's another aspect of this is like you know passing the buck onto the, like the employees. That's that's a hard. It's gonna be a hard thing for an employee at a club to do. Like. Yep. It's going to be like super like, how do you find out? Because the guys immediately going to be like, what? I mean, like, I just have six beers in my cart. I have 12 beers. Like, you're not like nobody's going to be able to catch him red handed doing this act over and over and over again. Right. Well, it sounds like he confessed to it. I mean, he opened up and just literally said I'm saying it's like that maybe the better course of action is like, listen, like this is fucked up and this guy's (laughs) doing this like. Yeah. And he's really rude. He's like at the end of the day, everybody's paying for this guy's beer for the like the year. That's yeah. the thing. He's stocking up. 
How big of a he, fridge does he have in his house? I wonder if, like Bill, he lets people come to his fridge. Then it maybe he feels like oh. he can reciprocate it. So we're dovetailing now multiple. I wonder if golf it's Bill. Advices. It's actually Bill <laughs> with the arm wrestling. Fish you up. All right, let's do another one. James Moran. Uh, here's the situation. Long time shotgun or religious Bixby boy. All right. My buddy and I were playing afternoon round at a county muni. It's not a particularly nice course, but it isn't a dog track either. Uh, Westchester County muni. We got paired with a random old guy named Al, white guy in the 60s with a bucket hat on. Did you read this? Yeah. This is just amusing to read. Neither of us mind playing with randoms of all shapes and sizes, but the four plus hours you spent with Al has left us befuddled as what we should have done. Rundown of some of Al's greatest hits. I started the round with two comfy pars. Al duffed it all over the place. He strolled up to me on the third tee and asked how much money I had in my wallet, and I'd be happy to take it if I wanted to make things interesting. My buddy was having a tough time getting off the tee. He was spraying it everywhere. Every time he had a bad shot, Al would roll up on him and say, hey, have you considered taking lessons? Mind you, this is why Al himself was topping at least one shot a hole. At one point, Al casually dropped to us that he loves to golf because... It beats being at home with his cancer-stricken wife. <laughs> Two holes later, he started ranting about the group ahead of us not playing fast enough and said, with no irony, slow play is a cancer that's killing the game. Jesus. Also without a hint of irony, Al made us wait five minutes on every green as he walked around incorrectly fixing old ball marks and muttering to himself about how people have no respect. Al told me almost every hole that it was stupid to use a rangefinder when I simply asked him how far out we are. I took him up on it once and he guided me right into the stream in front of the green. Thanks, Al. He talks so much on every tee box. I know how it feels like to play with the baton boy. He, if, if only the baton boy was a 35 handicapper. What should you do when you're stuck with an absolute menace to society like Al? Please advise. I'll leave this. What, right. what do you got? Number one. God, when he, when he brings up playing for money, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. All right. First thing, like he's clearly a badass. He's like kind of got some bully qualities. Like he's talking shit all the time. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, just like take his money. Just beat the crap out of him. That's right. number one. That's the first thing you could do. Like if he if if you're confident about what that you're going to beat him, just beat him and be, take him to the woodshed. Yeah. You know? Second off, I've had like a similar experience with Al. I was playing with a buddy of mine who like is like a good player. And this guy, he was from like Eastern Europe. And he just was like to my buddy, Dave. He was just like, you know, Dave, you need to change everything. (laughs) I feel like these are, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm having a bad day, I might get pissed. But I feel like these kind of people are pretty easy to like, sort of shrug off and laugh at instead of yes. like take seriously, you know, but not you should play him for money. If he's yeah. offering, if he, yeah. if he rolls up and says something like that, you should absolutely be like, yeah, you want to play for money. I love the rangefinder story. Don't rely on Al get an NX 10 immediately in the Creek short of the green. So, you know, what's funny about my buddy now that I'm thinking about it, my buddy, um, my buddy, when he was told that, told that the guy then started going on and on about DJ Trahan's dad, the swing surgeon. Seriously, <laughs> interesting. I didn't Eastern put it Europeans. together when you did big the, over the, there. Yeah, yeah. He's he was big. going ranting on and on about the swing surgeon. That's that's the worst though. The guy that like goes around and like makes fun of your swing. I guess like one of the things I would say is like 
I'd be like, whoa, how how would you make it better? Would you, you seem yeah. like you got a lot of ideas. Like, what should I do? Right. And the, and then you're like laughing at him. Like a lot of you people... have to use use random playing partners. I think the best use of a random playing partner in general is like sometimes you get great guys. Like sometimes you get great random pairings, like extraordinary random pairings. Like, um, but for the most part, the best thing is like the comedic value and the the staying power of like remember that guy we spent four or five hours with like it's golf's the only sport yeah where like you can get randomly paired with a person like i i'm struggling to think of like any other activity that you can do where you get randomly paired and you spend four to five hours like with a random human being kind of pick up basketball but it's not that personal interactive that's obviously not going to be four hours you know yeah like maybe there's like a bar you can yeah. go to the other side of the bar like you right. can avoid this right 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 a, sitting at a bar is like the only other time you get like a, a lens into somebody's life but golf is like and, and this is what I always said to people I used to say to, like I said to my wife when we were when I was formulating my wedding my wedding like guest list i was like and she's like who are these people i haven't met some of these people i'm like i've played golf with them for like six years <laughs> yeah four hours and she's like what do you mean i'm like i played i've spent like four or five hours with these people like once a month for five years that's more time than i've spent with a lot of my fr- best friends yeah you yeah. know it's yeah. like a, it but you know that's the thing when you're with your buddy you're always gonna remember al like it's right. going to be like something you bring up for the rest of your, and yeah. that's what you think. I think that the way to do it is to cherish the moment. Yeah. I think I, I've usually can amuse myself with, you know, somebody making comments like this, um, even if they seem rude or uncalled for, I just, unless it's a really bad day and I pop at them, I, I don't think I've ever done that, but I usually just shrug it off and actually find the amusement. In it. And I like your idea of having a story you can tell with your buddy about this guy. Um, last one. Quick one, real quick. Long episode here. Barry Sukumba. So, uh, is this not, Barry from yeah, Barry. Not a not anonymous here. This is a quick one, pretty imp- simple one in my opinion. Uh, what's the consensus on how you should value a score on a course where you played the holes out of order? I don't mean just starting the back nine or a shotgun start, but playing the first six, then jumping to the back, then coming back and playing seven, eight, nine. I often, the context is I often have a better score hopping around my home course than when playing it in sequence. And I wonder if this is because I'm disrupting the intended narrative, flow, and psychological design of the course that would normally make the course play out a little harder, or at least so it would seem. Also, of course, uh, it means I stay in rhythm and get to play fast as opposed to having to wait on slow players. But just figured I'd pose the question. Uh, pondering in Paradise, Barry. I mean, there's a lot of philosophical things about this, right? I don't know what like an actual substantive solution is here. And I don't know that there is one like a value. You, I think it's something that you should look at this and take away as like, maybe I should be less concerned about where I am and what I'm doing as much on the golf course and just play golf. Because when you do this, like I feel like anybody that's ever done this, like you're hopping around, you're not really thinking about your score. You don't. Sometimes you lose track of like how many holes, like here's the thing. The barriers of nines create these like fundamental measuring points in your round. Yeah. Mile markers. Yeah. And you're thinking about where you're at in regards to nine, where you're at in regards to 18. And like you hear people all the time talk about staying in the moment, especially pros like staying in the moment 
and all this stuff. Like what you're doing by hopping around is you're disorienting the way that you measure yourself during the round. And that's why you're playing better is that you're playing better because it's not like you're not like, hey, I'm on eight. I need to make a birdie. So I shoot X on nine, you know, for the nine. And I can turn and play like this is like a a, a wonderful example of like how when you're less concerned with score, it seems like your main concern is getting around the course quickly. And what you're seeing is that you're playing better. But the the reality is that your your focus is on getting around the course quickly. It's not around your score and you're playing better. And it's because you're not super worried and anal about where you are at certain points in your round. But if you're getting held up and you want to play fast or need to get in, jumping this, around I'm not seems... saying this is... Yeah, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with jumping around and keeping score this way. I'm, right. What I'm saying is you're playing better. It's not like you're playing better because psychologically you're, you're less, not measuring you. yourself on, yep. on these benchmarks. These, like this like process know, of the round and way it goes. Yeah, exactly. I like I started playing a lot better golf when I stopped worrying about where I was at points in the round. And I realized, you know what? Like I sometimes go on rounds, hot runs early in rounds. Sometimes right. I get hot in the middle of the round. Sometimes, like, there have been times I've buried the last four holes and, like, all of a sudden, a, a round that was kind of shitty, like, is a good round. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing is, like, you get stuck in these, like, measuring I'm X through this and you're putting numbers in your head. And right. that's why you're playing. Like, by doing this, you're you're actually, like, removing yourself from the, like, ritual of keeping score that actually holds you back from scoring well. Yep, I get you. That's a good point. But to Barry's underlying quen- uh, question, like how should you value a score where you played the holes out of order? It's your score. I think the same. Yeah, whatever you scored on 18 holes or nine holes or whatever it is, I don't think you can start weighting it up and down based on whether you played it in sequence or not. It's just that that's a simple, it's your score. But I love the, I love your insight there into sort of the mind, the tricks your mind can play based on. But I think it's actually like incredible, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's noticing he's playing better. Yep. That's interesting. And there's probably a very good reason why. Part of it may be the pace too. Like you said, I can keep the rhythm going. Right. So, all right. That does it for this beefy boy Friday episode. We have a lot more SGS golf advice. We will continue to do more. I think I started like, seven or eight of them for today and there's probably 50 we could start but uh keep sending them we promise we're, we're banking them we will get to them over the court we may do golf advice only episodes for holidays when we're traveling so so feel free to fire away sgsgolfadvice at gmail.com all right thanks to precision pro and meridian everyone enjoy your weekends we'll be back on uh, monday